a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Hey, welcome along, October 6th, 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland, and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. British Summertime, 9 p.m. Central European Time, which is the time zone wherein I happen to be confined. Could be worse, could be 10 p.m. in Kiev and Moscow, now in the same time zone, if not the same country. 10.30pm uh, in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. Midnight 45 in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 2am in Chang'an in north-central China, of which more momentarily. 3am in Singapore and Honkers. 6am in Sydney and Melbourne. 8am in Auckland. And an even more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Great to be back with you. Hope you remember me. Uh, Mark Stein's the name and uh, I'm glad to be here. 2,000 years ago today, October 6th, in the year 23, that would be 23 Anno Domini, as they didn't say in China, but on October 6th, Anno Domini 23, two days after his capital city of Chang'an was sacked, rebellious peasants fought over the toppled Chinese emperor Wang Mang, the one and only emperor of the Jin dynasty. Two millennia ago, this very day, 
The mob cut Wang's body into pieces and then bickered over who should get the most valuable bit, his decapitated head. The noggin of the emperor was delivered to the new capital of Wancheng, where it was hung on the city wall. However, another angry mob yanked it off the wall and kicked it around the streets until someone got the bright idea of cutting the emperor's tongue out. Eventually, the authorities retrieved it and kept it in a vault until the head got destroyed in a fire during the Jin dynasty. 2,000 years ago today, the decapitation of an emperor. If anyone from Scotland Yard is listening, by the way, I'm not explicitly calling for the peasantry of southern England to rise up and sack London and kick the head of Mayor Sadiq Khan round the street. So no need to send six of your wanker coppers round to seize my kids' cell phones. Thank you to Laura and Andrew and Melissa for holding down the fort in recent weeks. I'm not going to do my usual shtick uh, about Viscount Dawson of Penn because I sense it's beginning to irritate people and uh, it's not strictly true. I can't remember, uh, to be honest, whether we've... Have we spoken since I left Italy to return to France? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, to ease up on the coyness for a moment, uh, I had another mild heart attack and I've got another stent. Uh, so I think that's up to six now. For some reason, when you go back into hospital, if particularly if you go to a different hospital or in another country, they ask you how many stents you have, and I have trouble remembering uh, uh, an accurate count. I wonder if Dick Cheney has the same problem. Um, but as I said, it was all rather mild, but I do find myself recalling the IRA's taunt to Mrs. Thatcher after failing to kill her in the 1984 Brighton bombing. You have to be lucky every day, we only have to be lucky once. Uh, that's uh, very true. Uh, so I have to be lucky every day. And in the event you wake up one morning, but I don't, I do want to say how touched I've been in recent days uh, during the accelerating implosion of GB News uh, by the kind and generous comments about me by Ava Leilani and uh, Alexandra. Oh, and uh, dear Samantha, to Samantha Smith. It has been a great privilege to do shows with some of the best and most insightful young commentators from around the planet. I'm so grateful to them. I so miss them. Uh, it says a lot, I think, that when GB News and I parted company, uh, I took all the best guests and they were left with a lot of, uh, what did Lawrence Fox call them? Because it's a brilliant expression. Uh, cosplay freedom fighters, uh, <laughs> which is mostly what GB News has got left now. A lot of that about. Uh, I'm not in great shape today, as you can probably tell. Even my side effects of side effects. Uh, I have, um, so I get a dry mouth and I have to take a, a lot of pills uh, to hold the dry mouth down for an hour and that in turn brings a whole set of other problems. I, I am a bit worried about Loza, Lawrence Fox. Uh, he, as you know, he was arrested by Scotland Yard and bail conditions were imposed upon him. You may have seen the Twitter exchange uh, earlier today 
Jordan Peterson sent him a tweet saying, um, how do you feel about the 24-7 surveillance state now? And uh, Loza replied, under the terms of my bail conditions, I'm not allowed to answer that question. Um, he says he doesn't feel safe in the UK, uh, but he's not free to leave. Because as you know, if you're on the Mark Stein cruise, we sailed down the Adriatic and we stopped in Croatia and in Montenegro. And I said I would bet on these countries uh, lasting a lot longer than those in the West. Uh, and I'm sure Loza could live very nicely in Croatia or Montenegro, but he's not free to leave. And I don't think it's an exaggeration after what happened the other day from the bozos at Scotland Yard uh, to say that there aren't people in the UK, very highly placed people, who would be utterly indifferent if something should happen to Lawrence Fox and he should have to be carried out by the handles. Uh, I saw on Ava's Twitter feed, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, that Tino Kruppala, a member of the Bundestag in Germany and a chairman of AFD, uh, Alternative for Deutschland, uh, which, uh, as you know, is the uh, ooh, the scary big far-right uh, party there. Uh, the chairman of the party uh, has just uh, had an assassination attempt made on him. Uh, and as I mentioned, Ava Vladingerbrook wrote about it. In some German state, as you know, you've seen AFD people on, on, on our show, Christine Anderson, who was on a couple of months ago, uh, in some German state elections, it gets over 25% of the vote. So German media, continental media, British media, American media, uh, calling them far right. If you get over 25% of the vote, uh, the far right may be a lot nearer than you think. But calling them far right uh, ultimately uh, incentivizes uh, would-be killers like the chap who tried to stab him with a syringe uh, today. Tino, uh, yes, I think it was Tino Krupala. Um, anyway, uh, we'll talk about that and a whole lot of other things. Uh, this will be my last show from the continent of Europe because I have a looming court date in the dank toilet of the District of Columbia Superior Court this month as part of the Mann versus Stein case, in person. Uh, so has decreed the judge, who is a bit of an ass. Did I say that out loud? Oh, probably not a good idea. Anyway, on with the show. Let's uh, see what's on your mind uh, today. Uh, Chris Davis says, Mark, how wonderful to have you back. Your sagacity is needed more than ever in these mind-warping times. My X-Feed, I think that's what used to be a Twitter feed, uh, my X-Feed, my Twitter feed has been dominated by the need for you to defeat Ofcom in your upcoming battles in the UK courts. Should you fail, I'm convinced that Ofcom will look to flex its muscles using the online safety bill to smash new media channels 
including Messrs. Fox and Robinson. That would be Calvin Robinson, who was fired along with Lawrence uh, a couple of days ago. Am I being unnecessarily pessimistic, or would you agree that the fate of free speech in the UK lies in your hands? No pressure. <laughs> and he also adds... Uh, does the arrest of Lawrence Fox for pre-crime continue the descent into oblivion of the reputation of Brit Wanker Coppers? Well, Brit Wanker Coppers, as you know, we had a have had a feature on the Mark Stein show for I think about three and a half years now. Brit Wanker Copper, your Brit Wanker Copper of the day. One of the reasons we call them wankers is because, unlike uh, say American coppers, uh, they can't actually kill you. Although you do sense with things like the Lawrence Fox raid that they'd quite like to if they could. Um, but I think it is interesting, the level of corruption, the fact that uh, Scotland Yard, the FBI, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police north of the border with respect to the truckers. These are... Um, these are three of the most famous police forces on the planet, and they have now degenerated into partisan hackery, trashing, uh, certainly in the case of the Metropolitan Police, their own reputation. The great issue facing us in formerly free societies, because we're descending into semi-authoritarian societies very fast, and the big problem is the lack of equality before the law. So, for example, uh, we're supposed to take seriously the idea that Lawrence made a threat against public property in his uh, interview with Majid Nawaz. And as a result, he had to be arrested and his kids' cell phones and laptops and everything all confiscated. It took a while for Lawrence, even after he was released from uh, jail, uh, to get back online because they'd con they've confiscated all his devices, you know. And the thing about it now, the way it works is they'll hold those as evidence until the end of the so-called trial. So all they have to do is basically sit around and dither and, uh, you know, wait uh, a couple of years to decide they're going to bring a charge or whatever. And in the meantime, they get to... There's no justification, by the way, for taking these devices. There's no serious idea that he's organising anything uh, covertly on the dark web or anything. But the, the point is, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to get into that. Just Stop Oil can destroy public property, uh, can bring London to a standstill, and the wanker coppers pose for selfies with them. I loathe the Metropolitan Police. They're an evil force. Just uh, if you've seen... My conversations with uh, with my dear friend uh, Paul Gambaccini from Radio 2, who had his life ruined uh, by them uh, in a completely ludicrous invent. They're an evil force, and they actually have so betrayed the legacy of Sir Robert Peel that I'm in favour of disbanding the Metropolitan Police and, and starting all over again. But I'm in favour of disbanding the FBI 
and starting all over again. You know, my natural thing now when I hear about an FBI investigation is, uh, oh yeah, they've fitted up some guy, as they say in Britain. So they've they've uh, entrapped a couple of guys into stringing along with a plot to kidnap the uh, lieutenant governor, the lieutenant governor, I should say, of uh, Maryland or whatever. And uh, my instinct now on hearing anything involving the FBI is to assume it's an FBI plot. Uh, The FBI are now investigating uh, Trump supporters, apparently. Trump was quite right when he said, they're not really after me, they're after you, I'm just in the way. Uh, And so they moved on to investigating Trump supporters, which is, you know... 80 million people. Uh, And if you're one of those 80 million, you might just randomly be investigated by the FBI because uh, apparently an expert has said there's a high likelihood that Trump supporters will start killing people. You notice, by the way, that all this violence, as with Tino Kruppela in Germany, uh, comes, surprise, surprise, from the left. Uh, and it's because the so-called uh, establishment is incentivizing violence against them uh, as well. That's, that's a big part of the problem. Um, as to Ofcom, look, all I'm doing is what I can. Ofcom shouldn't exist. And uh, they, they have two kinds of powers. They basically are supposed to allocate the wavelength if you want to open a radio station or whatever. And that's something you do need some. Otherwise, everyone would all be, you know, sitting on each other's frequencies and it would be a hideous cacophony. So you do need some kind of body to say, oh, well, yes, the easy listening station in Glasgow can have that and the hippity hop station in Belfast can have that. You do need something for that. But then they have all these micro editorial functions that they are exercising ever more brazenly. And just to be clear about this, the last three and a half years have been a public policy disaster. Uh, There are two possible explanations for it, that our political class are are just, well, you know, it's cock-up or conspiracy. Uh, So either they're just even more useless than we thought them to be, or they actually did this to us deliberately. But the fact is, uh, the the idea of uh, jabbing everybody on earth, which is what Klaus Schwab said, Uh, uh, in one of his World Economic Forum promos. Unless everyone is jabbed, no one is safe. That's bollocks. But oddly enough, Dame Melanie Dawes, who goes along to the World Economic Forum, I doubt she's a... Well, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe she is one of the most important people there because she's going to be able to exercise huge control over the internet thanks to the... Uh, terrible, 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 non-conservative, conservative government. But uh, the stuff she enforced when she said, you're not allowed to question. It's not just that you're not allowed to undermine trust in public health bodies. That actually is bad enough. Uh, it would be quite good, actually. That a lot fewer people would be dead 
if we'd under, undermined public trust in these public health bodies by, say, the second week of March 2020. But you're not allowed to question them. And this is, uh, this, this is incompatible with a free society. And as a result, uh, you've seen them on our show, victims of these useless vaccines, which aren't vaccines. You know, there's no vaccine that you've got to get a top-up shot every two months. Um, it's important. Somebody has to put, it's the biggest public policy fiasco of our time. And somebody has to do something to push back against it. Now, are the, is GB News going to do that? No, they've become a tourism trivia station. It's Nancy Boy Central there. They just talk crap 24-7. Um, they would have been much, you know, GB News decided uh, that they didn't want to talk about the issues that I talked about on the Mark Stein show. Uh, and as a result, uh, they're in, you know, they they just talk trivia, and the trivia has got them into just as much trouble with uh, the regulators uh, and Ofcom and all the rest of it as uh, as uh, anything I said did. So so they're in a big. These are big. We are, as I said earlier today, it's that stage. I used to watch these sci-fi things. They're all walking around glassy-eyed. They don't form human relationships. They're basically creatures of the state. And I used to think, this, this is all very well. But how did we get to that? We're at, well, we're in the how we got to that stage. We're getting from here to there. And we're quite well advanced upon that, if you look at this. They're basically saying now, this attempt uh, uh, attempted assassination of... The leader of the AFD, uh, Lawrence Fox, is the leader of the Reclaim Party. They've got one member in the House of Commons, but that means they're a party with parliamentary representation. He was arrested and uh, carted off to the cells in Croydon. And in the United States, mere supporters of the opposition. And by the way, I'll tell you one thing about this that I do like. Um, you know, the... The media in America realize they made a terrible mistake in 2016 because they because they got huge ratings when they covered Trump. So they covered Trump nonstop. If he'd hold a rally in the middle of nowhere, they had a, a, a full team there to bring it to you live because they got fantastic ratings. And they realized uh, on November, whatever it was in 2016, oh my God, what have we done? So they swore they were not going to do it again this time. So you notice not even Fox carries the rallies now. Uh, it's uh, then then they're simply they've 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 simply not doing not doing that. So instead, <laughs> I saw one poll today that had Trump at sixty five percent in the Republican primary. Uh, well, how did he get to that? Because they're covering the indictments the way they used to cover the rallies. And Trump's smart enough to use that to his advantage. So, so, so we, yeah, we're not covering his big rally 
in uh, in 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 uh, in Twin Falls, Idaho, or whatever. Oh, but wait, he's been indicted in Low Manhattan. Let's get our camera crew down there, and it's working for him because it's making the descent into. Uh, well, we're actually, I don't even know. I think Ava was right. She said we're not at, you know, we're not in danger of losing. She was saying this about the Lawrence Fox raid. We're not in danger of uh, losing our democracy. We've lost it. I think that's true. You know, if you're, if you're, if you decide to uh, stand against the Uni Party using democratic means using responsible government means, and you think to yourself, well, not only do I have to get 51%, but I also have to uh, overcome a lot of fake indictments, uh, being arrested uh, every week, uh, losing my social media accounts and all the rest of it. Uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to make uh, democracy or responsible government work. Uh, in in that context. And I love the way, I, I hardly ever tweet, but I did tweet this because Ava tweeted, uh, you know, that uh, our democracy, we're not in danger of losing our democracy, it's gone. And some American uh, tweeted back at her, uh, it's not a democracy, it's a constitutional republic, shows how much you know. For God's sake, she's a Dutch lady talking about the UK on a platform owned by a South African, you're losing your bloody country. Could you stop being such a parochial wanker about it? You know, constitutional... I keep I have to say this every time I'm on. Because constitu do you see constitutional fetishist Mark Levin... Um, He's going on about the Matt Gates, the Matt Gates, a guy who was, you know, he, he was an indicted sex fiend, whatever it was, two years ago. He's mysteriously risen from the grave and taken out Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, first time ever. And Mark Levin's not happy about it. Uh, look, you know, uh, here's the thing for you constitutional fetishists. Where does it say anything in the American Constitution about continuing resolutions. If you have a continuing resolution instead of a budget, instead of appropriations bills, which actually ought to be individual appropriations bills, not a big general one that enables all... You, there's no such... No republic has, cons, has continuing resolutions. For God's sake, I wish you guys would get real. Uh, because it's going to be too late and everybody, and this is where, you know, Ava will be dragged over the, in, in, in relatively blameless Netherlands, will still get dragged over the cliff with the United States. You know, continue, I would make this a minimum thing, right? No speaker who supports a continuing resolution should remain in office. Um, anyway, I went on a bit. Uh, I went on a bit long there. I'm sorry about that. I've gone a bit long there, Chris. Sorry about that. Got a uh, got a bit uh, carried uh, uh, away. But I do think that's actually quite an important point. The Trump uh, Trump 2024, the indictments are the equivalent of the rallies in Trump 2016.
George Pereira says, Mark, Nigel Farage, Nigel F, or is it F Nigel, continues to disappoint. How long before he starts to mutter that maybe Brexit wasn't such a good idea? Stay safe, stay free, stay out of Vermont. Um, yeah, Nigel Farage, uh, <laughs> I wasn't surprised by this. He went on another TV network, ITV, and pissed all over Lawrence Fox. Um, you know, uh, years and years and years ago, I... Uh, I uh, was with Bob Hope in Toronto and he, we were just sort of talking uh, backstage and uh, he said something that sounded rather big-headed and he, he, uh, I looked at him quiz quizzically and he said, uh, humility, I pass. And uh, with Nigel Farage, loyalty, I pass. He has many excellent qualities, but loyalty to comrades, and you don't even have to talk about broadcasting comrades, you just have to talk about people who've, uh, um, fellow members of UKIP or the Brexit Party and ran into a bit of trouble. Nigel's problem is that uh, the Tory party have betrayed Brexit so that if there were to be a Brexit referendum today, he would lose. And that was his big achievement, and it's a real achievement. But the, the, the uh, you know, uh, apparently uh, Lawrence Fox has signed a non-disparagement clause, which is one thing I never do after my experiences with CRTV, uh, for, the, for, in effect, the same reason. You know, Farage went on ITV and disparaged Lawrence Fox. There is no non-disparagement clause, Lawrence, after Nigel's performance, actually after Angelus Flopidopoulos's performance on Radio 4 on the BBC, where he said he was appalled by you. There's no, there's no non-disparagement clause. They're disparaging you every... They did it to me. They disparaged me, that little... Uh, uh, awful little soft cock, what's he called, Mick Booker. He did that to me. He lied to the Guardian. He said I'd refuse to do the Ofcom training. I aced the Ofcom training. And so did everyone at the uh, US-Canadian end of the Mark Stein show. These are horrible, nothing little men. And, uh, and they're disparaging Lawrence all over town, and he has no reason whatsoever to be bound by that uh, non-disparagement clause. Thank you for that question, George. Uh, let's pause for a brief musical respite, uh, in part because I'm uh, running out of puff hair, got a bit too worked up there. Uh, Roger Whittaker died uh, in September, uh, not too far from where I am right now, in fact. Uh, at the age of uh, 87, he and I had the same tour promoter for a little while, and when my young American ladies appeared not to recognize his name, I explained that he was the most famous Kenyan on the planet until Obama came along. And that's true. He was born in Nairobi. Uh, Roger, that is, not uh, Barack. Barack, of course, is from Mombasa. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that's what his publicist said for many years, uh, his book publicist. Um, anyway, with uh, 
pop stars, uh, you know how it goes. You're a big band singer or you're a disco diva and then big bands or disco fall out of favour and you hope to hang on to enough of your former luster uh, to make a living in the years that remain. But Roger Whittaker spent seven decades, seven decades at odds with whatever passing fad happened to be passing, and it made no difference at all. Here he is with an old English folk song that I love. In 1855, uh, in his collection Popular Music of the Olden Time, the great British music publisher William Collins pronounced this one of the top three favourite songs of the serving maid class. So all you serving maids out there, get ready to sing along. On the other hand, uh, if you were a Canadian kid, anywhere near a TV set between the 1950s and the 1980s, this will prompt an entirely different set of associations. Uh, it's the theme tune from The Friendly Giant. Oh, and all the whistling is Roger Whittaker too. He is one of the world's most formidable whistlers. One morning, just as the sun was rising, I heard a maiden singing in the valley below. Oh, don't deceive me. sun was rising, I heard a maiden singing in the valley below. Roger Whittaker and one of the loveliest of English folk songs, even if the loveliness, the beguilingness of the tune is a little at odds with the too familiar tale told by the lyric. How could you use a poor maiden so? I said Roger was always at odds with whatever was the current thing. Rock and roll, psychedelia, punk, new wave. He just 
did his thing. This was a top 10 hit for him in 1986 midst George Michael and Bananarama and Whitney Houston. It's a Gaelic tune from the early 18th century to which new words were appended in the 19th century. Uh, words about Bonnie Prince Charlie, the Stuart claimant to the thrones of Scotland, Ireland and England after the um, Battle of Culloden in uh, 1746, I think it was. The prince was on the lamb, trying to stay one step ahead of the British army, which eventually uh, prompted him to take a boat to the Hebrides off the northwest coast of Scotland. Uh, these are the lyrics as written by Sir Harold Bolton, second baronet, and uh, published in 1884. Roger Whittaker mostly whistles on this track, although he uh, joins in with Des O'Connor's vocal as the thing proceeds, but it was unusual to have top 10 whistlers in the hit parade in the 1980s. I remember when I was a kid, they re-released Bing Crosby's White Christmas one year, and the singles reviewer at NME, the new Musical Express, um, some long-forgotten rock critic, uh, was scoffing at how Squaresville Bing was to whistle on a pop record. Well, Roger Whittaker defied such scoffing by the rockers and rocketed up the hit parade. Yeah. Bow 
Sky Boat Song, Des O'Connor on most of the vocals there, Roger Whittaker on all of the whistling and the guitar. That was such a big hit uh, that the Sky Tourist Board now uses as its slogan, Over the Sea to Sky. I adored both uh, Des and Roger. I once wrote in the London Evening Standard that I decided to come out as a Desbian. Uh, that's someone who loves Des O'Connor. Des liked the line, but confessed he was a little worried that it might catch on. Uh, that didn't happen. Story of my foreshortened life. We'll have more Roger Whittaker before we close things out. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A, uh, live around the planet. It is uh, 20 to 9, just a smidgenette short. 20 to 9 British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Uh, let's get uh, back to your questions. Roy Eppen, Dr. Roy from Montreal. If uh, you've ever seen me on stage uh, in the Dominion of Canada, if it's one of those slightly formal events where we have the loyal toast, it's usually, when, when I'm doing the gig, it's usually Dr. Roy who uh, proposes the loyal toast because he does them better than... I wonder if he's... Uh, you must let me know whether you've had occasion to do a loyal toast to His Majesty the King since the demise of the crown a year ago <clears throat> and, uh, and, and the new sovereign? Or uh, have they slightly taken advantage of that to scrap the loyal toast entirely in the Dominion of Canada? Anyway, Dr. Roy writes, I'm very glad to see that you are feeling better, my friend. Best of luck in your trials. You will prevail. I am very disappointed in GB News. Is this the fate of all conservative networks? Well, you know, I don't know about that. I think uh, I think it's tough to be a conservative, and I don't know whether it's the fate of all conservative networks. Um, but I look back uh, twenty years, say, to the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, and a lot of people who are conservative are not in the least bit conservative anymore. Like Bill Crystal, who couldn't get over Trump. Uh, and killed his own magazine. Um, if you were on the 2019 Mark Stein cruise, you may have noticed that there were a lot of people there who uh, were longtime weekly standard cruisers. Uh, but Bill Crystal destroyed his cruise business and then his uh, magazine uh, in his opposition drum. Or Max Boot, who was my editor at the Wall Street Journal and who became, and is basically. Uh, they became Hillary voters. Uh, and uh, likewise, Boris Johnson. Boris was always an opportunist, a sleazy, opportunist, uh, unprincipled fellow. But he was, he was generally uh, sleazy and opportunist and unprincipled within the bounds of what you would call right-of-center politics. The, the crap that the uh, Conservative Party of the United Kingdom is in favor of now is really quite astonishing. So I think there's a general, I think, <clears throat> and, and, and this is particularly true for people who, who were on, Lawrence is a, actually a, a good example of this, why I'm worried. You know, he comes from a very distinguished acting family. I think it's the fourth generation now. 
Um, but, you know, big time, successful. His dad, uh, James Fox, uh, the servant with uh, James Fox and Dirk Bogard uh, is, and uh, what's her name, Wendy? Uh, oh, I had a terrible blank, bit of a blank there. Um, but it's a great, that's a fantastic film and a fantastic performance by James Fox. His uncle, Edward Fox, um, the... Uh, Day of the Jackal. Um, his uh, uh, other uncle, Robert Fox, is a great film and theatre producer. I first met him again almost four... Uh, whenever I say 40 years ago, whether I'm talking about Bob Hope or Robert Fox, it could be 20 years ago, it could be 70 years ago. But I just use the phrase 40 years ago to even it all out. I first met him 40 years ago at the time when he was producing uh, Chess, the musical by Tim Rice and the Abba Boys. So these are all people at the top of the profession. And Lawrence Fox, because of one appearance on the BBC Question Time, where he said that uh, he thought, uh, what's her name, the Duchess of Sussex was all wrong about Britain being a fundamentally racist society. And people, he basically destroyed his acting career with that remark. And that's not an honor. That's, you know, the Duchess of Sussex was embraced by the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh and all the rest of it, and indeed by the British people. And British peoples around the Commonwealth. And she was, uh, and, and then she turned against them and if you objected to her denouncing Britain as fundamentally racist, as Lawrence did, your career was over. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are moments. Because I know, you know, in my own... I, I sometimes think back to what might have been if you hadn't been expelled uh, from uh, normalcy, as it were. So you can go on, you can go on the BBC, you can go on ITV, you can go on in the New York Times, you can go on uh, MSNBC and say all kinds of things. But if you do one thing, one remark like that by Lawrence, and it ends your uh, career effectively. That's why some people, you know, Dr. Roy just want to go home and you know, living, it requires a lot more energy to live uh, out there on the hardcore end of things. That's one reason I have such respect for Ava and Leilani and Alexandra and Samantha, because the pressure would be, the pressure is always, you know, if, you, if you're ever with them, I'm always, a, a, you know, being on stage with them on the Mark Stein cruise, they're absolutely fearless and they don't care about all the crap on social media. But those kind of people are rare and it requires incredible strength and energy uh, to be able to do, uh, to be able to do that. Um, we got a, we got, where did, where's this question? I want to make sure I get to it. Norman says, what the UK authorities did to Lawrence Fox this week was terrible, but are you aware the latest and what they're doing to Tommy Robinson? Uh, he already is to live as an exile, relying on friends to put him up as he isn't allowed a bank account, uh, to avoid being in prison because someone released a film he made about a previous case against him. 
for doing good journalism. Now he has a court case for another trumped-up charge against him, and they just brought it forward from December the 14th to the next week, meaning he won't be able to mount a defence. And unlike Lawrence, he can't even speak to his followers on Twitter because he's still banned. Yeah, the thing about this, this, this is what's changed since I first got into the free speech wars, which is almost 20 years ago now. Uh, and I was thinking about this. I don't, I'm trying to work out. Oh, yeah, this was 2015. I think I got that right. It was the 10th anniversary of the Danish Mohammed cartoons thing. And I was speaking in uh, Copenhagen with my friends from the Danish Free Press Society. We were actually speaking in the Danish Parliament because it was the only building in town whose walls were thick enough uh, to withstand any attempted uh, jihadist takeout. And um, Douglas Murray made a... a sort of, it wasn't about Tommy Robinson particularly. It just happened to come up where he said that... He noted that, you know, we never go after the guys who are doing, like, all the uh, Islamic atrocities. We go after the people who are boorish and vulgar enough to point that out. You see that. You know, it's almost, it's so pathetic now. It's reflexive. Uh, when, like, the stabbings in Annecy, which is a little ways uh, uh, northeast of where I am right now, uh, and I've talked about with Ava on the show, the first thing that happens is they say, oh, oh, well, you know, this has nothing to do with terrorism. Blah, blah, blah. So they, what they do is they go after the, instead of going after the people pulling these stunts, they go after the people who point it out. And as, uh, you know, in that clever, clever way, which didn't really used to be part of English justice at all, you know, the all oh, we got uh, uh, in America, all oh, we uh, got Al Capone on, uh, on, on tax evasion, you know. We can't get him on killing all these people, so we'll get him on tax evasion. Well, you know, they couldn't get Tommy Robinson, so they got him on some kind of mortgage application thing, same kind of thing as they're doing with Trump. And Douglas Murray simply, you know, did a first principles defense of Tommy Robinson. And when you do this, people say, oh, why are you speaking up for Tommy Robinson? Oh, I got this when I went on Tucker. And I defended uh, whatever it was, VDARE's right to have a PayPal account. Uh, they'd been cancelled. They'd had it cancelled just as they, if they book, you know, uh, try to uh, use other things that are supposed to be public accommodations open to all, they get screwed over. And I defended VDARE. And people say, oh, Stein's completely lost it now. How can he? Oh, so sure, he claims to be a free speech absolutist. But uh, why does that include VDARE? You know, same thing with uh, in Copenhagen. Oh, you know, Stein and Murray are defending uh, Tommy Robinson. No, we're not. We're defending first principles of equality before the law. And it's because there are too few people who do that that you're screwed. The UK is screwed. The US is screwed. The Dominion of Canada is screwed. The Commonwealth of Australia is screwed. Uh, because nobody, very few people, defend first principles. 
And how, by the way, uh, we've seen it. This, this old oh, great, isn't this fantastic? Look, Lawrence Fox, he was rude about some chicky from some, uh, you know, other network. He said he didn't want a shagger, and now the police have arrested it. That's great, isn't it? Do you hear what you're saying? It's the lack of first principles that is killing. Do you know, and I, I live this. I had a wanker for a lawyer a while back. And he was, uh, well, I was very lucky, actually. <laughs> he was, he was, what he, his theory of the case, this was the uh, Carrie Katz case. And his theory of the case was um, that, uh, that, that, that that cats were scared to go to trial because I'd hired such a hot shot lawyer. And um, <laughs> anyway, then he noticed uh, the trial was scheduled and uh, he noticed that unfortunately he had another trial that week. <laughs> and so he couldn't do the trial. We had to go and get some other lawyers. Anyway, uh, he said one about the cats case, CRTV, he said, uh, uh, what we need for this, we were looking for an arbitrator. He said, what we need for this is a strong Reaganite judge. And I said, no, we don't, because a strong Reaganite judge will be on the side of Mark Levin, on the CRTV side. You know, what we need is actually a judge who will just apply the law. Do you have any of those? Um, and it becomes very difficult, this, once you make... You know, that is why uh, in Britain, in America, in Canada, we have become, uh, you know, to an absurd degree. So we're supposed to, in Canada, it's nuts now. We're supposed to hate the Canadian truckers because they're Nazis. But then uh, the Canadian House of Commons gives a standing ovation to an actual Nazi, an actual member of the SS. And they all stand there because they're all morons. And what we need is, uh, what we need is first principles. And then if you have first principles in the police, if you have first principles in the courthouse, uh, you would depoliticize a lot of life. Right now, I'll just make another point about that whole business with Lawrence Fox uh, saying he didn't want to shag the bird. Uh, there's an Ofcom investigation now. The state is investigating uh, who uh, the men who do not want to shag Ava Evans. Now, that is about as basic a, an example of what Lord Moulton, whom I quote all the time, uh, mainly because he had one of the best job titles ever during the First World War. His job title was Director General of the Explosives Department. But he was also a judge, and he said what matters in society is the realm of matters. They're at the far end, there are things that one is obliged to do by the state. Like if uh, you have conscription, you've got to join the army. Uh, and uh, there, at the other end, there are the things you're not allowed to do by the state, like murder people and rape people. But the measure of a civilization is the space in between, the realm of manners, where a society of free people regulate themselves. And that space should be, you know, 80 to 90 percent. It's not now. 
The thing about, and what Lawrence Fox did is a classic example. Oh, uh, would you want to shag that? That's a classic example of something that should be regulated by Lord Moulton's realm of matters. Manners. Realm of manners. You know, in other words, there'd be social disapproval of what he said. Uh, and that might well force him out of his job, or that might well uh, force him to change his tack or whatever. But to have Dame Melanie Dawes and Lord Grade investigating him up the wazoo, that's not the mark of a free... So don't give me all this, oh, and constitutional republic, constitutional democracy. I like the phrase responsible government because it indicates... I prefer that to democracy or constitutional monarchy, constitutional republic, because it makes the point that, uh, that uh, a government is responsible to its people and a responsible people are entitled to govern themselves. And uh, there's less and less of that around now. Patrick Gagan says, Hello, Mark. Recently, a judge in New York has stripped Donald Trump and his heirs of their business. I have not heard any Republicans come out and speak on this important issue. Your thoughts on this subject are greatly appreciated. Well, I had my say on this judge uh, a couple of days ago. I think it was the, was it Monday or end of last week or whatever? Because, of course, it's outrageous. This was a civil suit, but a civil suit brought by the Attorney General of New York. And uh, there is, it, it, there is, I... I'm always interested when there are no victims of crimes in America. Uh, I've seen this since uh, 15 years ago when the corrupt, uh, dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt U.S. Department of Justice uh, prosecuted my old boss, Conrad Black. No victims in that crime, even fewer victims in this crime. Uh, basically, uh, they're saying he overstated his assets. Uh, and that that's a crime. And so this has been, uh, they brought a civil suit against him. The, the, he, the, he overstated his assets uh, in the way, uh, you know, when he was trying to get bank loans and things. So you go to the bank, everybody's done this. You go to the bank and you say, uh, oh yeah, I've, uh, I've, 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 I earn so much a week or whatever. Uh, you, you, you've got to big up, you know, to... Uh, what your what your uh, status is in order to get them to loan you the money to buy the car or whatever. Everybody knows that. In this case, there's no crime because he repaid all the loans. So there's no crime and there's no victims. We have the judge who valued Mar-a-Lago at uh, $18 million. There's people, there's realtors in uh, that part of Florida uh, who say that it actually could be one and a half billion dollars. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, Rush's widow Catherine, recently sold Rush's pad in Palm Beach for $155 million. Um, so we're asked to believe by this judge that Mar-a-Lago is worth a tenth of what Rush's pad was worth. You know, this is, this is, this is why we're not going to be able to vote our way out of this. Because too many institutions of the, too many institutions, not of, even of the state, but of society, are now rotten and corrupt. This is the sort of thing 
that uh, this confiscation of their business by the the state is the sort of thing that used to happen in colonies uh, after independence. You know, the col the colonies become independent, and they all agree. Oh, oh, oh yes, we're going to have yes free societies. We 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 believe we're perfectly committed to democracy, and so people think, oh, that sounds nice enough. I think I'll stay. Oh, I own uh, I own a couple of newspapers in the capital city in one of the provinces. So I think I'll stay on. Uh, I own a I own a copper mine uh, down in the south of the country, and maybe I'll stay on. And then uh, next thing you know, as soon as the imperial power is withdrawn, not as soon, not as soon, but you know, six months, eighteen months, two years. Uh, the government thinks, I know, I'll seize that guy's copper mine. I'll seize that guy's newspaper. And uh, that's the state to which the crap hole of our constitutional republic has been. Where's that in your bloody constitution? You know, the fetishists, the constitutional fetishists, it's a post-constitutional order you're under now. I can't stand watching these brainy legal scholars say, oh, well, of course, but Trump, you know, not to worry, uh, because uh, Trump can appeal that to the New York Court of Appeals, and then uh, he'll be, you know, I saw how this was with Conrad. When they seize your property, oddly enough, it means you don't have the money for protect. I know what my share of the... Uh, of, of the Mann versus Stein case in Washington, D.C. has cost. And, you know, it's a high seven-figure sum. It's an evil system. And saying, oh, he'll be able to go to the New York Court of Appeals, that's, that's not as... This is a corrupt judge. He's not doing impartial justice. That's another thing. Judges who don't do impartial justice. That's another thing I know more about than I wished I knew. Um, uh, Drew Weber says, Hello, Mark, with your legal and health challenges, thanks for continuing to dedicate your time to Clubland Q&A. I wonder if hell were to freeze over and Biden was subjected to legal scrutiny similar to those being endured by Trump. Might Biden's legal team claim he was mentally unfit for trial as a viable legal uh, offence? Uh, viable legal defense. You know, <laughs> whenever people say that, I always think of Ernest Saunders, who was the uh, chairman or managing director, whatever it was, at Guinness 40 years ago. Everything was 40 years ago, back in the 80s. And, uh, you know, Guinness, the brewer, uh, the bear, famous uh, Irish bear. So Ernest Saunders was put on trial and uh, the defense was that he had Alzheimer's disease. This is, uh, well, actually in the court I'm going to be in, in the English High Court. Uh, and Ernest Saunders' defense was that he had Alzheimer's. And the court bought it. And then, uh, you know, two months after the trial, his Alzheimer's amazingly cleared up. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> So it would be interesting to see Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden, uh, try that. In any case, says Drew, the impeachment inquiry is spending its time building a case 
on what is already abundantly clear. Biden was in the influence peddling business with his family. Do they expect the Senate, comprised of influence peddlers of various degrees, most mere pikers compared to Biden, will vote to convict? Not likely. Biden has been accused of bribery while sitting as vice president. All efforts should be focused on did he or not. Well, you know, they're not going to convict him because everybody who goes into American politics at that level emerges far richer than their uh, government salaries can explain. That's certainly true of Joe Biden. Uh, even before he uh, ascended to the vice presidency and then the presidency. There's no way to explain uh, his property portfolio on what he and Dr. Jill earn officially. As we've seen with the 10% for the big guy and all, all the rest of it, uh, basically, uh, you know, the only product that Hunter Biden and Jim Biden have to sell is access to their dad and brother, respectively. That's all. And the thing about it is everybody around the world understands that. The Saudis understand how easy it is to buy up rich Americans in particular, but also rich, you know, not quite as rich as they'd like to be, Canadians, and Frenchmen and all the rest of it. The Saudis bought up a ton of people. The Chinese have uh, bought up a ton of people. Uh, it's destroying us. It's just, it's, it, the corruption in America is on a totally different scale. Uh, Eric Dale on the same point. Mark and fellow club members, what are your thoughts on the leftist destruction of Trump's businesses as well as Mike Liddell's My Pillow Company with the full collusion of the courts. I wonder if the left sees any irony in the fact that in the name of fighting fascism, they've merged the state and private sector toward the national will. The banks obeyed the left to debank the truckers, uh, Nigel Farage, and who knows who's next. What do you see as the long-term politicizing of the economy as well as the restrictions of free speech? Is tyranny, in fact, the natural state of man and inevitable? It's not the natural state of man, but the last 70 years have been entirely unlike most people's, the way most people have lived in the entirety of human history. And we've reached that stage where... Um, people, people think it's, people, people think denying access, we, the combination of technology and the new authoritarianism mean that it's actually easy to deny people the, the way to live. We were hearing about how, uh, Tommy Robinson is basically staying with friends. I uh, was was hearing that the other day from uh, a couple of members of unfashionable um, uh, populist parties, the members of AFD. We were talking about that at the top of the show, Alternative for Deutschland. Their German banks are debanking them. If you can't get access to... And all these things are interrelated, so you need to have... 
uh, a bank account to be able to get a mobile telephone. You be able to, you need a mobile telephone number to be able to get a bank account. You know, the whole uh, interlocking pattern of access that is needed these days. I will say something, you know, I will say something that, it, that I think about quite a lot these days. Um, and that is that, say, 10, 15 years ago, well, going back to that thing I was doing with Douglas Murray and our Danish friends in Copenhagen, the worry then, because the British Foreign Office and the US State Department both told their nationals that it was unsafe to be in Copenhagen anywhere near this particular event, because their thing was that, you know, this was this was an, the worry then was you had to have security because uh, terror. There were guys who wanted to kill you. I've told this, you know, this story, I think, was it then or was it on an earlier visit uh, about the one legged uh, Chechen uh, living in Belgium who came to Copenhagen uh, in hoping to uh, get lucky um with uh, the Yillensposten uh, guys, uh, <laughs> on the, when I happened to be with them, uh, he was going to blow up and he uh, prematurely self-detonated in his hotel room. That's what we had to worry about then. The new thing now is is that it that's not, that's not what I worry about now. I worry that you know I'll be changing flights in London or wherever. Uh, or in the European Union, or uh, the Dominion of Canada, or maybe even the United States. And I will find myself suddenly in a Lawrence Fox situation, or an Eric Trump situation. You know, now it's not a one-legged Chechen from Belgium looking to take you out. Now it's the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt uh, U.S. Department of Justice, or the FBI, or Scotland Yard, uh, and that's the big change, and that's a terrible thing. That is an absolutely terrible thing. This idea of uh, anything outside the Uniparty, the crappy Uniparty, the Uniparty, anything outside that um, is uh, is something that has. Uh, to be uh, taken out by any means possible. Uh, Peter says, Greetings, Mark. Rush used to tell his audience that he would tell us when it was time to panic. Much has changed, and all of it toward the cliff's edge since Rush's passing. As Mr. Limbaugh's number one guest host and a prophet in your own right, I ask you, sir, is it time to panic? I ask this question of Mr. Snurdly. Uh, my friend from many years of the Rush Limbaugh show on the Mark Stein cruise at the start of uh, uh, the start of a show on the present situation in America. And uh, he chose to interpret it rather differently. He said it's never time to give up on the United States of America. But I think we are. I think if one of the one of the problems here is that you know, we hear all this stuff about some new COVID variant or whatever. The COVID years taught us that huge numbers of people uh, 
will go along with all this. And what's interesting to me is even after the devastation of the last three years, if somebody stands up and announces, you know, a scary new variant, tens of, well, maybe hundreds of millions in the Western world will go along with it all over again. It's very... It's very, uh, very strange to me that. Um, Timothy McDonnell, will you have this as a last question because it's a little bit of a, 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 a lighter theme. By the way, it is time to panic. As I said, this, the, the present situation, conservatives in general, but particularly in the United States, by abandoning all other institutions of power, by thinking that uh, power just means who you drag across the finish line on a Tuesday night in November. Uh, no, when you, what's interesting now is how woke, it, it, people used to say, well, yeah, okay, the, uh, you know, the universities of all these progressive ideas and uh, okay, yeah, the artsy fartsy guys do too, but I'm not really into ballet or Hollywood or, whatever. Uh, and what do you know, if you don't do anything about that stuff, next thing you know, it's the bloody military and the police who are woke as hell. So, you know, we're starting because of the long march of the institutions through to the uh, Pentagon, uh, we're now in the position of having to try and take back everything in the, in the country. So in that sense, it is time to panic and it's time to fight on a wider plane. Don't wave that constitution at me. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's a post-constitutional order. You know, we, we, it's a post-constitutional order. Or, what, or, or do you think we could get a continuing resolution to bring the constitution back? God almighty. Timothy McDonald says, Mark, my sincere sympathies on the passing of your Song of the Week collaborator, Brian Savin. Brian was the producer of all our shows, and I'm not really sure um, I can even think about continuing to do them without him. I really enjoyed your behind the music-like what is that? Is that on MTV or something? I don't know. Behind the Music-like Biography of Moore uh, by Ritz Ortolani and Norman Newell. This was the song Moore. Uh, Mr. Savin's editing of the music related to the song really added to the podcast. One of your best ever. I've listened to it several times and downloaded some of the other songs with lyrics by Norman Newell that were featured. Billy May's arrangement of more for Steve Lawrence, Shirley Bassey's Never, Never, Never. Could you tell us how that song of the week came about? What interaction had you had with Mr. Newell? Your interview with Gary Osborne was really enlightening. How long had you known Mr. Osborne for doing that, before doing that interview? And what was the initial purpose of the interview? Do tell how it all came together as it was an inspired podcast that I recommend. Um, well, I, I, Norman Newell, you know, who was a terrific uh, lyricist, uh, but he also, also was a producer at EMI. He produced, uh, what's that called? World Without Love uh, and um, a Beatles song. And uh, he did all kinds, he did all kinds of things. And I got to know him 40 years ago. Would you believe it? In the 1980s, uh, when he was uh, producing 
uh, all these cast albums of uh, London shows, not all of which were worth preserving, but I remember he did, I think that might be the first time I met him actually, with uh, a revival of South Pacific with uh, Gemma Craven in the Mary Martin role. Gemma was just uh, terrific in that, and I think I'm, that was the first time I met Norman, it was something like that. Anyway, and how long have I known Gary Osborne, Gazza, uh, well, that goes, uh, it doesn't go back 40 years, but it goes, uh, it goes back a few. Gaza wrote Part-Time Love with Elton uh, John and Baby's Got Blue Eyes. Got a big, uh, and Forever Autumn from Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. He's got a big catalogue. And the one I always liked, uh, Amoureuse, which uh, was a big hit for Kiki D. It's a French song by Véronique Sanson, and he did the English lyric to it and uh kiki liked it and because elton john was uh then uh working with kiki he he produced that so I, you know gaz is just one of those he's been on the mark stein show on telly and radio and i've been on he did some show on the bbc that was on he's just very funny i i always like him and i Hope to the last night out i had basically was the sods dinner before my heart attacks uh, basically wrecked everything, was uh, the Sods Dinner, Society of Distinguished Songwriters, big night out in London. And I hope to uh, stick around long enough uh, to be at the uh, next one in December, I think it is. Um, Ross Spence says, During the COVID lockdowns, I learned that many people, perhaps most, don't actually like freedom. They just want someone to tell them what to do and to make others do the same. They actually want tyranny. Yeah, they want a soft uh, tyranny, as they see it, that basically just treats them like children in the nursery. And that's why more and more people actually behave like children. Just stop oil and all these other people do. But you, you're right. That is the biggest problem and actually talking about it only in oh small government terms or whatever isn't actually gonna uh isn't actually gonna cut it because they don't they don't want small government because they look to big government and the the danger here that particularly in american cities as they grow more dangerous and more lawless is that people think the natural response to that will be to say, oh, well, that's why the state needs to have more power to keep us safe. That's a huge danger, huge danger. Uh, and I would be, you know, I would be interested in, in uh, I would be interested in looking at, looking at that situation honestly, instead of all these things, you know, like at that stupid debate where they're all, each one's, promising to be the new Ronald Reagan or whatever. It's not his America. It's been demographically transformed. As I said, there's five million more people in the country than on the day that uh, Joe Biden took office. They're here illegally. And oddly enough, when you enter a country illegally, <laughs> you don't find yourself thinking about the Constitution and all the rest of it because you're a lawbreaker. So even something like getting a driver's license isn't a high priority to you. So uh, or obeying the drink driving laws. You could just look at the stories that never make the national news, but they're there in the local papers and on the local TV news every day. People need to get real about a lot of this stuff.
Um, a little, uh, a little more music for you on our Clubland uh, Q and A. I'm uh, uh, beginning to lose my voice seriously right now. Uh, in the early seventies, Roger Whittaker, we heard him earlier. He had a show on BBC Radio in which he sang songs with whatever Beeb orchestra it was. I can't remember now. But he also had, on that show, a weekly feature in which listeners were invited to send in their poems, verses, lyrics, and he would select one of them to write a tune to. So a listener in Birmingham, a silversmith by profession called Ron Webster, sent in a poem he'd written. And Roger liked it and set it to music and then sang it with the full orchestra. And unlike most of the weekly winners, he uh, liked this one enough to, uh, to stick it on an album. It was just side two, track five or whatever it was. Didn't, you know, just a track on an album. Uh, but four years later, 1975, an American lady chanced to be north of the border and a Canadian radio station happened to play the track while she was listening. And the American lady loved it, got back to Atlanta, Georgia, and told her hubby, who was a program director for a local radio station, uh, that he should get his disc jockeys to play this track. So he did. And it became one of the biggest selling records worldwide ever. Number one in a dozen countries. Uh, Roger Whittaker very modestly attributed its success to the intro you're about to hear, arranged by Zach Lawrence, heavy on the French horn. But I can never hear the intro without thinking of our pal Tim Rice. A zillion years ago on BBC telly, they had a pop quiz hosted by Terry Wogan with Roger Scott and Tim Rice as the team captains. Roger was a legendary DJ on Fox in Montreal and then Capital Radio in London. Uh, and Tim was not yet the Tony and Oscar winning lyricist. And one of the quiz rounds was Beat the Intro, where they play the intro of a record and you're supposed to tell them the name of the record. So Terry Wogan played the intro and then asked Tim Rice what it was. And Tim said, oh, I well remember the first time I heard that. It was 30 seconds ago, which I thought was a pretty funny line. But something like 12 million record buyers would beg to disagree. And the title of this song uh, seems oddly apt for the theme of our show this week. Here's that French horn followed by a Kenyan Roger. <laughs> The ship lies rigged and ready in the harbor Tomorrow for old England, she says Far away from your land of endless sunshine To my land full of rainy skies again And I shall be aboard that ship tomorrow Though my heart is full of tears at this farewell For you are beautiful 
beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word I heard there's a wicked war And the taste of war I know so very well Even now I see the foreign flag arrange Their guns on fire as we sail into hell I have no fear of death, it brings no sorrow But how bitter will be this last farewell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell Oh, death and darkness gather all about me And my ship be torn apart upon the sea I shall smell again the fragrance of these eyes In the heaving waves that brought me once to be And should I return safe home again to England I shall watch the English mist roll through the dead For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word are beautiful and I have loved you dearly more dearly than the spoken word can tell The Last Farewell, Roger Whittaker with orchestra arranged and conducted by Zach Lawrence. Uh, Music by Roger Whittaker, words by Birmingham silversmith Ron Webster. And Rod did very nicely out of that because across the planet, that is one of the 30 biggest selling singles of all time. Number 28, in fact. There's a ship lies rigged and ready in the harbour. Tomorrow for old England she sails. Uh, There's a ship lies rigged and ready in my harbour. Tomorrow for the District of Columbia Superior Court she sails. Yes, the next time we speak, I shall be in the Western Hemisphere. Stick with Stein Online this weekend. Rick McGuinness on the movie beat. Stein's Song of the Week. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. I'm off to wet my whistle.
Clubland Q&A is a production of Markstone Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. rights reserved.